Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 103. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. We're going to take a little break from the audiobook this week, and Christopher and I, sitting in the communications level of the Northern Maine semi-subterranean headquarters and evil lair. I hear it backs right up to the North Maine woods. Right out the back door, buddy. You could go if you wanted. I could do it right you now. Could do it. I'm, you could leave but I'm right not now. Going to. Oh, he's walking away. But he's I gone. could. He's gone. Um. <laughs> So we just wrapped up week four of the spring 2021 uh, 2021 wilderness guide training semester. Uh, been pretty busy. We've been out on the water quite a bit, and both you and I have been shooting a ton of video. Yeah, it's something I uh, am trying to get better at. So I figured every trip we went on, I would kind of document it and make a little little video at the end. And they're starting to get a lot easier. Yeah, it's almost like the more you do something, the better you get at it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So if you just listen to this podcast, you listen to it on some app, and you're curious what we do in the field, you can click through to the Jack Mountain Media website and see some of the videos there. And they're on the services as well, like Vimeo, YouTube, and all that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so our big news here is the neighborhood here by, by the headquarters Somebody new moved in, and they don't shut up. They're 24-7. These new arrivals are just making all sorts of noise, and I want them to shut up, and they never will. And I'm talking about a family of ravens that has a nest, uh, I don't know, 50, 40, 30 yards from the door. Yeah, if that. And they're you know right up in the top of a big white pine, and they are they, the kids are vocal now. Yeah, they, they have found their voices and are getting louder and louder every day. They just don't stop yeah. all day. The other day I took some – I make a point every time I come up here to shoot a couple pictures of them. And the other day I was up here, and it was cold and rainy, and the mama was – no matter no matter that it didn't matter that it was cold and rainy she was sitting in the rain just having a moment of peace to herself to try to get away from him like the rain was keeping <laughs> the babies quiet and she's sitting on this dead branch just kind of preening and just taking a little her time which was which was pretty funny to watch yeah uh and ravens keep coming up did you hear that podcast the the wild this week yeah, I did. About I, ravens? Yeah, yeah, the bird brain one. Yeah, kind of fascinating. So they just keep coming up. You know, I'm hearing about them on podcasts, and now they are just making all sorts of racket right out in I'm the I'm telling yard. you, when, when we as a human species are gone, they're the ones that are taking over. Yeah, well. They might even just move into this house I, once they,
So anyway, so I got that to deal with. It's pretty awesome. It is pretty it's awesome. It's awesome to watch them get, they're, they're getting, every day they're bigger and louder. It's And other bird related news, you were attacked by a hawk. <laughs> well, uh, so I, there's a, uh, I'm guessing a goshawk nest somewhere down by my camp and they're a bird that I've never, they're pretty, I guess secretive would be the word. They tend to hang out in the underbrush and they kind of, they don't really soar like other hawks do. So it's, it's not a common thing to see up here. Um, so one of them, I woke up the other day and it was right outside my tent platform and I ran back into my tent and grabbed my camera. And then as I came back out of the tent flap, she took off into the woods and I kind of went chasing her and I guess she had, she had stopped flying at some point. So I overshot her and then I just heard a flutter of wings behind me and I put my hands up in front of my head as quick as I could because they're, when they're nesting, they're notoriously territorial and she just, she clipped the side of my head and ripped up my ear pretty good. Yeah, so he's got, a, he's got a big bloody ear. <laughs> all from, a, which is the second time this year that a bird has flown into my face. The first was an owl at the Southern Vermont Natural History Museum, which, uh, so yeah, maybe I need to start, Tim's been joking that he's got an old hockey helmet. I need to yeah. start wearing his. Wear the woods. hockey helmet going up and down <laughs> the trail. Anytime I'm walking around, I'm going to have to have a helmet on to keep these birds. Well, for and, safety. Yeah, exactly. I told that mother raven, like, if you try to hit me in the back of the head, we're going to throw down. Like, I'm not I think she could it. take you. I, we'll we'll I see. Think, I mean, I there's think, only one way to know for sure. I think she's cleverer than us. She'd probably set a bunch of, like, Rambo-style traps. Yeah. And then just scream at you as you fell into them. When I was in high school, a little story, but when I was in high school, <laughs> there was this pond right next to the campus. And there was like a couple of Canada geese there. One of them was just notoriously foul tempered and they would run <laughs> up and like chase people and they would run from it. And I remember, you know, I was about 190 pounds, six feet tall. And I often had a hockey stick with me. And I, you know, I looked at that goose and I was like, you know what, buddy, I'm not running from you. And then, you know, he, he continued to chase other people, but he knew, like, yeah. that I was going to, like, two-hand him with the stick if he tried to bite me. And th that was it. We came to an agreement, and we never fought again. Um, <laughs> we so. never fought. Like, I like the idea that you guys, like, sat down and had terms. Yeah. Like, a, like an armistice almost. Like, all right. But you, that's... You stay over there. I'll stay over here. And the hockey stick doesn't have to get involved. So later this afternoon, I'm going to be out at the base of the tree wearing the helmet with the hockey stick. And, like, all right, Ravens. <laughs> I like the idea. Do this thing in my in my brain. It's you and the you and the mother raven and father <laughs> raven having this like standoff, and all of the baby ravens are like a Greek chorus in the background, oh, like go. singing what's happening. Because in my brain, it's sort of like West Side Story, and we're, it's like a it's like a musical with a fight going on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's actually one man wearing a hockey helmet and fighting. <laughs> and the funny the funny part is that the raven is trying to snap and it's not making any noise. Yeah, so they'll if they haven't yet what pulled the big puffy about? van up to put me in and take me down to Trembling Acres, maybe by this afternoon. Trembling Acres. <laughs> it could happen this afternoon. Well, maybe this could, will be the last could, podcast. It could. Maybe that'll be the next video I shoot. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, we actually had a serious topic to talk we about. We do. We, we will get there yeah, eventually. We'll get there. Uh, so this is the time of year in northern Maine. High water, right? It's awesome. We can go anywhere. Um, we've been out uh, Blackwater River. We've been out on Squapan Lake. I, we should both shot a video, but we were out there the other day at Squapan, and they uh, we pull up, and the big brook trout stock truck is there, and there's two float planes flying in and out, so they they load them up with fish and then they dump them in these remote ponds so i was like <laughs> something out of a cartoon i know I, I mean i was asking so many questions yeah. and 
it was pretty cool. It's like a big, it looks almost like an exterior fuel tank mounted on the float. And then they said they can just dump them. They don't, they don't even have to land. They yeah, said as it, long as they're under a hundred feet. Yeah. Was, so they, they're these big, they look like Tim said, they look like fuel tanks, but they've got a big sort of oval hole cut in the top. Um, and then there's a button in the, in the cabin that he pushes and they just lean over and all the fish come out of them, which is because they were specifically stocking the remote lakes and that seems to be the only way they can get to them, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And of course I was like, don't, don't most of them die when you're dropping them at a hundred miles an hour from a hundred feet. And they, you know, the biologist was like, no, they actually just about all survive that, which I've always thought that was a bit dubious, but the guy looked me right in the eye and... Yeah, he said that the littler they are, the better they do, which, you know, I remember in college reading about, like, an ant could survive a fall off an Empire State Building. So if you put those kind of, those physics together, it kind of makes sense. The smaller ones just kind of, they don't hit it with as much, as much force. Yeah. but kind of cool. It was neat being out there. Yeah. I love being out on remote waterways with float panes planes flying around yeah. it's just kind of cool there were like three float planes on a rotation they were just coming in and out for the yep. first half of the time we were there yeah go out dump come back reload and you know it's a long way into some of these remote ponds maybe it takes you like two hours to drive but they're there in like six yeah. minutes flying because number one they're not on horrible pothole ridden woods roads and number two they're going direct yeah so tim of course tried to convince them that they should let him they should let him just throw a line into the big truck well i wanted a staged photo yeah i wanted a photo of me like sitting on the truck with my fishing rod debt <laughs> with the, the hook down in the like the tank where all the trout are and at the same time the game warden coming out of the woods with handcuffs yeah uh, but they didn't go for it they didn't do they it they didn't go for it they also weren't that impressed when i asked the game warden what the daily uh bag limit on loons was he didn't think that at was that, that point funny. he just handcuffed you <laughs> I had to explain your uh, your your sense of humor to him. Yeah. How many loons can we keep and kill today? Please don't do that, sir. Please don't do that. <laughs> anyway, so just fun times all around. Had a couple of friends come up from uh, Portland, Maine this weekend, and they were out canoeing on the big Machias River. Had a great trip. We just uh, They just stopped in the car and headed south, but um, yeah, dropped them off up there and... and just high water all around, beautiful, but it still hasn't really warmed up. No, you know, it's, it's chilly kind of raw. Still. You know, even right now there's blue sky and sun shining, but I was just outside and the wind is it just rips the heat right off you. Yeah, it's like 45 yeah. today, windy, cold, 30, 30 high 20s at night. So it's still kind of we're still waiting for that uh, one nice warm day, and then the bugs will come out, and then we'll put on eight more layers. Yeah, and which is funny because we're talking about how cold it is, but as soon as it gets warmer, we're going to put on more layers. Yeah, and say, oh, I wish it was cold again. <laughs> yeah. When will it snow? There's always there's always like a, a point in the semesters for me where I kind of get to the, I, I can, for like the first few weeks, I can be like, oh, it's cold, at least the bugs aren't out. And then around this time, I'm like, I, I start to lose that mental battle where... I'm ready for it to be warm, even though the bugs are going to come out. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard on you to, you know, even we were talking yesterday driving in that I've just been eating constantly and it's, you know, it's a, a thing that comes along with living outside is that you're just burning calories all the time to stay warm. Yeah. In the cold, your metabolism's yeah. going like 8,000 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. If only we could find a way to harness that energy. Maybe right. you need to, you need to hook me up to like a water wheel, like a hamster wheel and I'll just move that's everything ridiculous around. they're so small you'd never fit in there a giant hamster wheel oh okay yeah yeah that that, that, that fixes it yeah that's... that fixes the logic for done you. great done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's starting to, it's starting to we're right on the cusp of it starting to warm up i think and then i'm going to eventually write an article called the many seasons of maine insect pests 
so we'll start with they'll be and we had one warm day and there were a few mosquitoes out and then so they'll be out and then the black flies will come out and then towards the end of black fly season the midges will come out and then the moose flies and the deer flies and the horse flies will come out and then for that period of like mid June, they're all out. It's a big yeah. insect party, and that's and when the it's no like, CMs are sort of like the wild card. Yeah, they're just they'll come out when the weather's whenever. like low pressure yeah. systems and still air. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we have to look forward to, and it's always it's always fun. Yeah. But you know, you learn how to deal with it. I mean, we complain about the bugs a lot, but we, you learn how to deal with it. And, yeah. Um, you know, smudge pot season, you take an old metal coffee can, punch some holes in it and have little smoky fires with you everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And and uh, long pants, long sleeves, and a big wide-brimmed hat. Yep. And you deal with it. So we have that to look forward to. But at the same time, you know, when the bugs are out like that, like crazy, the fishing gets really yeah. good, really hot in that. It's very, the fishing um, for the species that we have, the game fish, the biggest game fish in northern Maine, uh, is definitely brook trout, and they are very temperature driven. So as the water warms up, uh, they're super active. And then when you get to the sort of low let water level, warm temperatures of summer, they leave the big waterways and go to spring holes and little ponds and kind of hang out there, yeah, which are harder to access in the summer. Um, so, but we're right on the cusp of great, you know, getting into the best fishing of the year. So we're excited about that. Yeah. And this week we're gonna go out on the Big Machias River, probably the Saint Croix stream. And then we'll be all prepped for our longer late in the semester trips. Yeah. So super excited about that. Um, uh, what else? Other news. Other news. Still have plenty of space in most of our summer programs. So if you're interested in getting out this summer, uh, hopefully COVID will be in the rear view mirror soon for those of us in the good old US of A. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that. What a weird year and yeah, a half it's been strange and looking forward to just it being over as i'm sure everybody listening to this is like um yeah and still we're still also accepting applications for the uh the year-long program down in vermont so if you're looking for something like that take a look at our go and check out the school of the forest website and see if that's something that'll work for you okay so getting into our main topic for the day is the uh I was going to say hats, but I'll say that the the four Hockey helmets, yeah, the four big jobs of like an instructor at Jack Mountain. You know what what do you do when you're up here? So there's kind of four aspects of the job um, that I wanted to touch on today because uh, it gets different depending on what point in the course you're at. So without further ado, uh, the four big picture jobs is that you are a teacher, a guide, a mentor, and a coach at different parts during the semester. So we talk a lot about miles on the course. You know, it's all about the miles. It's all about the reps. So for canoeing, it's all about getting in the miles, meaning you're probably not going to really learn how to pull a canoe in less than about 60, 70 miles. Um, I think I usually say 80 but you're probably not going to really learn to paddle a canoe in less than 100 miles. So, I mean, the beauty of that is that you go out for one of our long, like week-long trips and you get pretty close to those numbers. So it takes about a week when you're doing it all day, every day, for things to really click. But using that analogy, you know, for, for mile, maybe, if we're going to say it's 100 miles, maybe mile one to five, you're a teacher. So you're showing people, here's how you do A, B, or C 
Um, here's how you hold the canoe paddle. Here's how you correctly make a knifing J stroke or a pitch stroke as you're paddling the canoe. Here's how you do this. Uh, the second part, maybe the second fifth, maybe miles six to 20, um, people have already had the instructions. So there you're acting more as a guide. So you're showing them, hey, here's the campsite for the night. Here are the systems. Um, uh, yeah, systems and routines and things like that. And here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to make this trip work and function together as a group. Yeah. So the teacher thing, you're you're kind of demonstrating all this stuff and then kind of in my mind as the guide, you're you're taking them to places that you kind of already know are good spots for them to start practicing that stuff in a real world setting. Yeah. So they've seen they've seen how to do stuff and then they need a couple of they need a couple of miles before you can start really like fine tuning what they've seen. They have to get the muscle memory down and you as the guide have to take them to places where that can happen effectively and safely. So on a short course, like maybe a week long course, <coughs> that's pretty much it. You know, yeah. that's your job that you're teaching people and you're, you're guiding them and kind of creating a safe space for them to get enough reps in or miles to learn whatever it is that you're trying to learn. So on our long courses, on our semester courses, we add the two other things. Uh, so teacher guide mentor and to me, mentor speaks to a longer term relationship where the teacher is invested in the student. The student is invested in the in the teacher and, uh, you know, to help guide them to become more skilled, more experienced. But I think the, the, the important point is that, um, th you know, you care, you know, you care and you have that relationship where it's not, you know, we talked in a previous podcast about the difference between information and education, that information, here's how you do this, here's how you do that, and it stops there. And the, you know, the beauty of a long course, long term uh, thing is just the relationship that develops. You know, you become friends, you uh, are looking out for their best interests and that sort of a thing. And that would be the, the mentoring. And that would maybe be mile 21 to 100. Yeah, to me, that's where, you know, we're coming up on halfway through this semester. And we had a conversation with the students here the other day about having sort of a midpoint check-in. And that's that's kind of where the mentoring thing comes in is you kind of assess where where people are um, and what they've done. And you kind of help them find what the plan is going forward. Like you're you're assessing them as an as an instructor um, and kind of giving them a game plan going forward, which is which is a hard thing to do on your own. So having somebody that kind of knows knows where we're going with this, knows where we're headed with the curriculum and trips and stuff and can kind of help that person sort through what their day to day should look like is a super valuable thing on a long term course like this. It keeps keeps students from getting burnt out. It helps them like understand where they're at and where they need to go. And that's, you know, that's not something that you really can get on shorter courses, because by the time you get to the stage where they need to know what the next step is, they go home. Yeah. Um, and then lastly is the coach uh, aspect. So let's imagine that it's, you know, mile 50 of a remote canoe trip. They've had all the instruction. They've been diligently practicing their, practicing their paddle strokes or pole strokes um, so as a coach, you know, you, you're helping the team to perform. You're helping the individual people on the team, the, the players, if you will, to get better, to become more skilled. Uh, but whereas when you're just doing straight up instruction, you, you are saying, okay, here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. But when it's more of a coaching aspect, um, 
you know, they've had the instruction. So there, you know, an important thing is uh, knowing when to advise them to help them do better, get better, uh, perform better, and when to be silent and let them have that learning opportunity and let them have their own aha moment. And that's, you know, it's a fine line to walk, to, to you know, let people... I don't want to say screw up, but, you know, let them have an opportunity to really learn a lesson. And so you're 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 often not constantly dispensing advice at that point in the relationship, um, just because, you know, if you've ever tried to learn something and someone just can't shut up, uh, you know, a really good rule for new instructors, a, a really good skill for them to try to master is to keep their mouth shut and let people do things right i mean yes you need to give them helpful advice but it, it can't be non-stop helpful advice because it just starts to get annoying yeah uh, you start to get to where rather than kind of instructing them through what they're doing you you start to get to the stage where you're just waiting to be asked questions as they come upon those questions themselves by doing the stuff which yeah, is for sure yeah so yeah teacher guide mentor coach so over the course of a long immersion program of over the course of a semester you know that relationship definitely changes uh you know as people become more familiar um and, but it can go in any one of those directions really at any time during the course so you know sometimes it's really early in the course and you're just doing straight up instructing um, and people then have like, you know, questions about you know, how do you get into this industry? And so then you switch hats and you become a mentor or, you know, it could be hour one, hour two of, of bow drilling practice. And you've already slipped into, you know, being a coach and a mentor, like trying to help people have better form for more long-term success. You know, it's not the absolute basics at that point. Um, you know, it's more, more nuanced. Um, so you're at that point, you're, you know, slipping into that other that other role but you know those rules are just they're constantly changing um it's not a static thing no definitely not and and sometimes that you know sometimes they're combined where you're you're combining the you're thinking about it the situations that you can put people in through guiding and you're thinking about that from a coach's perspective where do i take this person or this group so that they can really improve you know we mentioned earlier we went on blackwater stream near us which is a um, a stretch that we use to really fine tune polling because the, the situation itself helps us act as coaches because it presents these problems that the students have to solve. And as they run into these issues, then they can come to us with real kind of uh, concrete questions based on experience rather than us supplying a bunch of information to them and having them sorted out on their own. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there in a nutshell, for people who are interested in this type of work, want to become an instructor or a guide, uh, yes, you have to know how to do the things that you're going to be instructing. Um, you have to know how to teach them, and that's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. Uh, and then the more subtlety, the more nuanced bit with the, with the coaching and mentoring is that you have to know when to engage a student and when not to engage them. And that's kind of the... I think that's more of the art form of education, um, mentorship, coaching, uh, when to let them have their process and when to help them directly with the process. So that's the, those things take a while to learn and it takes even longer. Maybe it's a lifetime to get super skilled at it. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's a constantly shifting thing. Every student that you encounter will have a different kind of, 
I don't know, I, I don't want to think about it as a breaking point, but every student will have a different a different stage of maybe it's frustration or understanding where you step in versus somebody else who's totally self-sufficient. They see it once, they can do it, and then you just wait for them to come to you with questions. And it's it's always it's a challenge to it's a fun challenge, but it is a challenge to kind of cater to all the different people that you have in your course at once. So you're always kind of kind of playing the hand that you're dealt, so to speak. And it's good to go back to our educational philosophy is like we're not teaching bushcraft or we're not teaching canoeing. We're teaching people. What we're teaching them is canoeing. But you're meeting everybody where they need to be met. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like a YouTube instructional video where you're dispensing information. Again, that's information, whereas education is much more about the relationship uh, between the student and the teacher. Yeah, I, th- I kind of, my brain just kind of thought about this as the, the fish thing we were talking about earlier with their, where they're flying out and they're dropping, you know, a, a very broad strokes educational process would be flying out with a tank full of fish and dropping them all in and, you know, some make it, some don't. But whereas when you're having a, a, a long-term course like this, where you have to kind of cater to each individual, you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, you're carrying each of those fish by hand into the water and putting it in a place where you know it's going to do well. And, and fish are slippery. Fish are slippery. They're hard to hold on to, yeah. just like students. Uh, but it's true. It's true. Like, it's a it's a different level of engagement that you have to go for if you want every individual student to come out getting the most they can out of it versus just, just having a script that you stick to. And right. I delivered that. my lecture on YouTube. Exactly. And now I'm done. Exactly. As opposed to like, where is student X at yeah. right now? How do we get them to cross the finish exactly. line? Exactly. Exactly. You know, we have this concept here that we talk about a lot, which is like, so-and-so needs a win, which is that, you know, we're always kind of gauging how students are doing. And if they're really struggling with stuff, will we build situations where we know they can succeed? Because that's going to give them a sense of, of actually of a sense of success and then they can carry that on into the other stuff that they're struggling with rather than just, and that's not something you get with, with a sort of a YouTube video instructional thing or, uh, um, so that, again, that's those different, uh, those different hats that we're talking about where you're kind of, you're kind of pulling them on and off almost second to second while you're up here, which is a, a challenging thing to learn as an instructor. Yeah. And that's why it's, you know, some other outfits you see, they have like the, the two-day instructor training course, and I don't know. I think for our to be an instructor here, it takes a takes a two years maybe. Year it took and a half. me. It took two years of me being up here to actually be an instructor, of being up here all the time as a TA and stuff. And then it probably took me another another year and a half to feel like I actually knew what was going on. <laughs> because it's not just straight instruction. It's not just yeah. here's how you do this. Here's how you grip the knife to make this cut. It's that. It's those subtleties, those nuances mm-hmm. of that mentor and coaching relationship with students that it takes a long time to learn how to do it at all, and it takes even longer to learn how to do it well. Yeah. And the what was that thing in the, I think it's in the Tao Te Ching, that when the master teaches, the student says, amazing, we did it all by ourselves, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the, you know, you want to lead people to the intended learning outcomes, and you want them to feel like they made it there you know, on their own, you might've helped a little bit, yeah. but, but ultimately, you know, it's about their process and their journey. Absolutely. And that's kind of the, so we went from talking about fighting Ravens wearing hockey helmets to like Chinese philosophy and 
We kind of covered a lot of bases today. We are, we are, yeah, we're ready. I think those 11 cups of espresso I, I had I this morning. <laughs> I don't know what we're ready for, but we are ready yeah. for anything. Anything. We are Just ready for about anything. anything. All right, I'll get the hockey helmet. Let's go. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> we're on very different pages right now. Um. Yeah, well, I don't really have anything else. Yeah, keep an eye out on the websites and stuff for more and more of those videos. We're trying to... We're trying to hold ourselves to shooting them and editing them. And if we tell you we're going to do them, then I feel I have an obligation now. So keep an eye out for them. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for the videos. So as usual, we're never going to post one again. Now. You know the drill. <laughs> if you enjoyed this, uh, give us a like, write us a review. Uh, don't, actually, don't, yeah, following up with last week, don't like this, don't subscribe, don't do all those things. We're not like begging for your attention here. Just don't do it. Resist. Resist the temptation to do those things that all the social media companies want you, know you what? to do. Don't even listen to the next podcast. No, no. Delete this right now. <laughs> In fact, whatever you're listening to this on, throw it on the ground and drive over it. Foot shot. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.